Hello and welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from the Southeast Group. Adrian hosting today. Renault is joining me for your first podcast of 2024. Hi, Renault. Oh, yeah. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, Happy New Year to, to you and to all the listeners. It's amazing how quickly it's come around, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> right. Let's see how fast it goes in 2024. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it certainly does. And uh, on the agenda for us, just before we kick off with today's topic, soon it's CES, and we're going to be we're going to be we're going to have some of our folks at CES. So hopefully, see uh, see see some of the listeners there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I won't be there this time, but Fabian and Kate are going. So, I mean, hopefully they have a few observations also to relate after they're back. But uh, mm. yeah, they're going to be quite busy over there. Number of people to see and, and so on. So it's going to be intense. Let's not put pressure on them. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. But that's uh, that's probably sort of a big start to the uh, to the year anyway. And I think by the time this is published, they're going to—it's literally going to be underway. So, yeah, that, that's going to be exciting. And as you said, we'll come up with some observations from CES as well as what we've been doing as well in due course. Okay, so if we launch into today's topic, cost versus quality, and finding a balance between them for manufacturers. So, very much in your wheelhouse, Renault. And I know that there's. Maybe, you know, a few particular points you want to focus on with this. But before we do that, let's just sort of introduce it. So when we're talking about, you know, the balance between cost and quality, how would you quickly describe that? So you, you, you're you hitting me with a philosophical one this time, huh? cost <laughs> versus quality. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, There's basically, if you are in a classic transactional situation, and maybe you're talking to one of your suppliers, let's say, and you say, well, we need better quality. You know, For example, we need more consistent quality. We, may, we, we need fewer defectives that don't comply with this and this requirement, or we need to have tighter tolerances here. You know, the supplier usually is not going to tell you, oh, great, this is going to this is going to push me to uh, to do things that reduce my cost. So I'm going to give you a uh, uh, a price break. You know, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to say, "Well, you're basically raising the bar here, and it's going to be a bit higher, you know, a, bit, a bit harder for us to hit." So we need to think of the impact on cost, right? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the the knee jerk sort of uh, reaction that you can count on. And it's not entirely for bad reasons. You know, we're going to go over that, uh, but that's typically the first thing they're going to say. Well, oh, wait a minute! You know, there's com- commercial implications here, and you know, cost implications. Maybe we need to revisit pricing, right? And then you have some. I mean, I'm sure you've seen like in places like LinkedIn and things like that. You have people who say, "Oh, uh, you know, oh, in a lean." set up uh, like in Toyota they have better quality and lower cost at the same time this is like Mm. magical you just need to to follow this the playbook and of course you know read my book or or pay me for I'll be your consultant I'll show you how to do that so how come right so you work on getting better quality then you know is it going to help you 
reduce your cost or is it going to push your costs up, right? And really, a lot of it depends on the context and a lot of it depends also on the engineering resources you'll put behind it. So mm. there you go. Um, it's it's a complicated topic. We need to basically, we need to break it down. Yeah, complicated. But I bet it's something that's often popping into people's minds. And, you know, we, we want the lowest cost, but we also want the best quality possible that's, you know, suiting, suiting our needs as well, I guess. So uh, finding that balance really is, it's, uh, well, literally a tightrope, I suppose. So breaking it down then, what's the first, what's the first sort of point that you would focus on? Mm. Well, the first thing, as I mentioned, in the typical transactional relationship, if you say we need better quality, your supplier is going to say, well, we need better pricing, right? Mm. <laughs> and typical things that they think of and i'm gonna think think of this and, and talk about it in in the context of chinese china manufacturing okay yeah. typical chinese manufacturer is gonna think well they want better quality you know so for example i don't know on the last shipment for example on, on the packaging a few of them you know the printing was a bit off and they saw that and it was on on ten uh, percent of the the boxes and they really don't want that they didn't tell us before they, they had these requirements, uh, like 0%. They really need, you know. Um, so you might say, well, the standard was already like this. There was some deviation. You have to get to it. But still, they're going to be thinking, well, it, it means we need to inspect them visually one by one. It means we're going to have to put more pressure on the supplier also, maybe the printing supplier. Uh, we're going to have some rejects and send it back to them, and we're going to have to whatever you know, to, to, to negotiate with them a bit and, and, and yada, yada, yada. All right. Mm. In the end, more inspection time, more time from their purchasers to, you know, to follow up on this and so on and so forth. That, all of that is higher cost, right? If you say, well, this widget that you have, I don't want this molding defect on, uh, you know, on some of them, like, Come on, there's like burn marks, or there's uh, there's some scratches from when it came out of the mold, or something like that. You say, I really don't want that. And of course, mm. supplier is not going to be thrilled. They're like, well, yeah, you're raising the bar. You're asking us to to do more work to um, to achieve that result, right? Uh, so typically, they're going to try to say, well, this comes with a higher price, and this is. Especially true in China because the um, Chinese suppliers have, you know, they have their logic, and sometimes it's a bit a bit hard to to understand. But really, they have a logic. Once you get it, it's really it kind of makes sense, okay. And in that case, the the logic goes like this: if you want, you know, you you want high quality, you're ready to pay a high price. You know, if you bargain for a lower price, we can assume that you will accept lower quality, right? But if you bargain for a low price, and after that, you give us some chargebacks and all, all kinds of things because you want higher quality and you, you push some cost to us and so on and so forth. Well, this is not fair, right? And this is, mm -hmm. 
I actually read, I don't, I don't, maybe on the China Law blog by by um, somewhere, maybe Dan Harris wrote about that. In um, in a court of law, if there's no specific and documented quality standard, and you, for example, you're the buyer and you sue your supplier and you say, well, they delivered that bad quality you know, shipment. Well, if the supplier shows to the judge, look, they push for a lower price, you know, uh, and look at the normal price on the market, you know, we are pretty competitive. The judge is also going to tend to say, well, you know, they got what they paid for, right? So in China, it's also a, a culture where they tend to view things sometimes more holistically and always think of the context, you know, like when you 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 listen to actually the way they speak in Chinese, it's, it's not very specific. Mm. The listener has the responsibility to put things together and to to guess certain things sometimes. And it is the mark of, how to say, sometimes the most sophisticated culture, <laughs> right? Where things are not stayed very specifically, you know, A, B, C, D. No, they, there's a little bit of an art. And the listener is supposed to understand what what is meant, right? Uh, mm. Between the words. And, and then they look at, for example, the Americans who are very, very specific. We tend to write things like there's no context and try to be very logical and have things flow naturally and everything, you know, logically. Okay. And they look at that and they say, well, yeah, anybody can understand that. You know, this is not the, the mark of a very sophisticated culture. You know, this is the way, and it's not just China, by the way, right? Korea and some, some other East Asian countries tend to function like that. So, what I'm saying is that they tend to keep the context in mind always, and everything is linked, right? That's why when you have a, a dispute with a Chinese counterparty on one area of your um, relationship, it's going to sour the whole relationship usually, right? Mm. And and that's why when, when the USA is trying to say, well, let's try to, clear, to keep... Um, the fight for 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 climate out of our little you know trade and tech war um i don't believe it's likely to succeed just because the chinese side everything's linked you want me to make efforts mm-hmm. here you have to make efforts somewhere else wherever you know but it's all it's all linked okay so where am i going with that in their mind if you talk about quality it has an impact on cost whether you say it or not Talk about cost has an impact of, on, on quality, whether you say it or not. And that's why it's kind of um, a fight sometimes when the buyer says, well, this is our standard. And then the supplier will say, well, yeah, but you don't pay for that. And, uh, you know, you, we need to revisit the pricing. And then you, you always want to to make it very, very clear to Chinese that it's separate. You know, no, no, like, I'm quality, and if you want to talk about cost, purchasing, you know, is the other side of the hallway. You go talk to them. Mm. You don't talk to me about pricing. Talk to me about quality. You want to talk about pricing, you go over there, but you don't talk quality with them, right? Mm. Uh, And quality is non-negotiable. 
because if you start to negotiate quality, usually, <laughs> you're, you, you know, if a product is already developed, already designed, you negotiate quality down, usually it's going to bring a, bring you more costs than it's going to save you on, on the transaction. Right? Mm. Now, if it's during product design and development, it's different. You can think of how to make the right trade-offs, but once it's in mass production, usually it's too late. You don't want to talk about that. So you, you want to say, okay, quality, non-negotiable, the standard is here, it's documented, it's black and white, you have to sign and that's it. And pricing discussions are separate and will not have an impact. And you really want them to understand that that's the way you think, because that's the way you want them to think. Okay. So typical Chinese approach to that, yeah, is very, very simple, straightforward. You know, you want higher quality, it's going to be more expensive. You know, we're going to have to put more inspectors, we're going to have more rejects, we're going to have to scrap more material, uh, we're going to have to do more rework. All of that is cost. One way or another, you're going to have to eat it up, right? Mm. If you want uh, tighter tolerances, well, this is our CNC machine. You know, uh, it does milling, and that's what you get out of it. If you want tighter tolerances, then we have to do some whatever, some honing, or, you know, some finer processes that will allow for much greater uh, precision. You know, to heat the the the, the smaller tolerances. Mm. But maybe the cost is times ten, times ten, right? So there's there's a point where the cost like goes up exponentially, and does that make sense, right? So and and everybody in their right mind will say, well, yeah, of course we need to think about that. We need to uh, we need to be reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's the sort of knee jerk reaction that you will get if you talk to your Chinese suppliers about you know changes and and like getting better quality but something strikes me here this conversation you need to be having this as early on as possible because of course like you just said if your manufacturer comes back and says yeah we can do that but that's actually going to cost 10 times more than than Mm -hmm. originally quoted because of the Mm -hmm. nature of whatever it is you don't want to be hearing that when you're you know well down the new development process and you got you know pretty complete prototypes in your hand and whatever. You want to be hearing that at an early stage so you can switch out the materials and maybe go in a different direction or something. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I'll get back to that later, yeah. But that's, um, uh, especially in mass production, you don't want to hear these kind of things. But also, ideally, you would already have set a quality standard that's already tight enough. And of course, you refine it over time, but uh, you don't go crazy. Uh, you don't. Yeah. If you really change, uh, you, you go much deeper. You you see some issues you were not thinking of. You say no, like this is our tolerance on that, and suppliers like, whoa, you know, this is really hard for us to hit. There's going to be commercial implications, you know, one way or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what you're going to expect when you talk about it with your Chinese suppliers. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, having said all that, yeah, as I mentioned in LinkedIn, in some books, and so on, in some YouTube videos, and you know inspiring stories you will read here and there of uh, world-class manufacturing lean lean manufacturing whatever you know toyota production system and so on and uh, there's a lot of good principles and also some good tools to learn there definitely but there's often a, a difficulty getting that 
back to a specific situation of, hey, we are making these widgets. Uh, how do we apply this, right? With the current state of technology, how do we get to uh, one piece flow and, uh, and, and, and things like that, right? And people very often kind of struggle uh, for many reasons, right? But if I summarize sort of the, the philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Philosophy is that if you focus on the process, the process will lead to higher quality and lower costs and also shorter lead times. And there's a lot of examples. Usually these kinds of books and videos, you know, they are full of examples of, hey, we made these changes and you know, we shove uh, lead times down 80%, you know, inventory 90%, uh, cost went down 15%, uh, quality went up, blah, 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 right? And, and 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 then they say, yeah, we work on the process this way, that way. All right, and we 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 revisited also the the supply chain and the exchange of information, and we we went from push to pull, and and okay, you know, we connected the processes, and we went to Kanban and and things like that. There's a lot of things that can be done, right? But again, if we try to simplify and summarize, one way to say it is that if you focus on compressing the lead times. You know, you, you basically, you look, you kind of map, okay, these are the activities and this is the time that the material kind of sits doing nothing, waiting for the next process. And this is where we have a lot of inventory and everything. Okay, how can we con- compress that? How could we make it so that instead of having, I don't know, a total manufacturing process, and you really want to go beyond your four walls here, right? You want to go and include the, the key suppliers of custom components at least, right? Mm. Just like in a Toyota factory or, you know, most pretty much all car factories, they start from the body shop, getting the the, the steel, um, pressing it and uh, making the, um, the structure of the car and then they, they paint and then they put all the fittings inside, you know, assembly. All of that is done in like 24 hours. It's amazing, right? How, how do they get from uh, from steel rails to the finished car in 24 hours? Well, they really thought about all of the steps and how to compress it, how to put them one next to the other. And then the material goes there and then it goes there, goes there, goes there, goes there. You know, so they really worked on that. They compressed the timelines. The, uh, the material is transformed, right, in a logical way uh, without waiting too much. So if you work on compressing the timelines, one thing that will happen is that you will have better quality because, you know, if you pay attention to quality, oh, we see this kind of defect here. Let me have a look. Oh, this one also here. Okay. Let's go right to the process right now. That process, the upstream process. So, for example, I don't know, in the body shop, let's say. Okay. Uh, you, you see after welding, oh, there's some issues here. Let's go straight to see that automatic welder, what's going on, you know, uh, or the way the robot grabs the part or something. Let's have a look at the process. And the good thing is the defects we see now, because we're going to do something with these uh, welded parts, okay? So we, we take them, we touch them, we try to fit them or whatever. Oh, we see something right now. Well, that part that I'm looking at and I see the defect, it was welded just five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago, right? Mm. So I can look at the process right now. And then if I see there's some deviation, okay, 
we can act on the process right now, but it doesn't make like a pile of 10,000 parts that will all have the defect, right? Which is a huge source of problems in the typical batch and queue, you know, make a big batch and have them in a queue for a long time, right? Call it batch and queue. Yeah. That, that's a huge problem, right? And then when you have 10,000 parts that were whatever, stamped, and you look at them and you're like, oh no, you know, it was a bit off, mm-hmm. whatever, maybe the fixture was not sort of properly or like, you know, the, the it was, the, the tool was already a bit too uh, worn or, you know, could, should have been changed earlier. Oh, then what do we do now? <laughs> right? Yeah, we have the, the 10,000 parts. And the temptation is very strong to just, okay, just, um, just use them in production. Let's hope there's no big problem, <laughs> mm. right? So when you compress the timelines, you have this effect of we find a quality issue and the trail is still hot and we're going to get to the source of the problem and we're going like, to observe the process, we're going to understand and we're going to fix it right there before there's a lot of you know strong impact. And then once you have that benefit, well, all of that is going to lead to lower costs. Well, first, you have much less inventory, right? Because you don't have that much material waiting because it's just like it's made and then five minutes or 10 minutes later, it's made, it's transformed again in the next process. So it doesn't sit there and you don't have like thousands and thousands of parts waiting for the next process, right? So less inventory means you let, you need less space. Uh, all the inventory, uh, you know, there's changes of orders and there's, you know, they get damaged, they get lost, any 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 kind of problems happen, um, right? They, they, uh, they get in contact with each other, they get dented, all kinds of problems. All of that is cost. Uh, you need like a big warehouse to put it. <laughs> uh, you don't need a warehouse anymore, right? You save a, save a lot of rent. Uh, so lower inventory definitely leads to lower cost. Um, also better quality, as I mentioned, you you you're going to find the source of the issue and you're going to be able to root cause root cause analyze it and and fix it for good you know hopefully and that means you don't mm. need to do as much rework you don't need to scrap as much material what that is an enormous amount of saving right there right so these are just two examples so you compress the timelines you yeah. use that to reduce inventory to uh, to to improve quality and then if you do these things right, you will have lower costs. And of course, that is a logic that one cannot really argue with, right? It just makes so much sense. There's no way to, to say that it doesn't happen. The problem is that it takes often a lot of engineering work and also a factory cannot jump from a traditional setup to a very advanced lean setup immediately. Or maybe it can with, you know, the intervention of very good consultants and, you know, full engagement of all the man- all the, the management and everything. But then if the people don't understand it, the engineers don't understand it, then when the consultants are gone, when the, when the managers get busy, well, the people are going to run it like before, Right. You can't just jump to it. It takes years to go to that, and um, and and it always depends on the limits of technology and what what really is feasible here or there, right? 
So you can just mm. say, okay, it's, it's going to be just like a car factory. <laughs> um, not really. Well, one car factory, first, it only makes cars. Uh, second, it usually makes cars on one or two platforms, but it doesn't make very different cars. Mm. It needs to be, you know, it's very focused. Uh, it always goes through the the body the the body shop, the, the panel shop, and it, and it goes to the to paint, and it goes to assembly, and it's always the same kinds of things that get fitted inside, and the same way that is visually inspected and tested, and so on. Right? Uh, can't really take so many uh, you know direct observations back to your factory. Usually, a lot of mm. ideas that are inspiring, right? But you need to adapt. So. That's sort of the ideal of world-class manufacturing, you know, excellent process manufacturing. Uh, of course, you can have, you can work on your processes and you can have better quality and lower cost and shorter lead time altogether, right? There's a lot of examples of that. However, can you go to your, your colleagues in manufacturing tomorrow or to your, your, your main suppliers and say, well, just go visit the Toyota factory, just learn about that and just apply it. And then next year, I want to see a 10% decrease in cost and and 8% every year after that. <laughs> mm. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. It's really not that simple. So when you actually look at the, the day-to-day realities, I think what we should mention is that there are some uh, some keys to focus on that will give you some leverage, right? And mm-hmm. I, there's a few that I'm going to mention here. It's not an exhaustive list, but this is what comes to my mind. And th- these are things that will help you reap more consistent quality and also cut costs if you do it well, right? But again, you need to, to pick the right keys for the right application, the right solution, I mean, the right situation, then, right? Uh, it, it doesn't all help all factories equally, of course. So, and, and is this, this is based on maybe a more typical Chinese manufacturer, not someone who is like a world-class order? Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah, can yeah, be, yeah. Right, this can be implemented in a lot of different types of factories, yes. Mm. Um, so the first one, and let, let's, kind of follow the, the product life cycle, right? Let, let's start when the product is getting designed. Okay. Is to actually do design for manufacturing and assembly. I think we discussed it on this podcast before. I'm not sure, mm. but otherwise... Yes, and, and in some videos. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, videos about that also. If you do a, a concept design and a nice industrial design and so on, and then, okay, we have a prototype... And let's just push it to manufacturing and, you know, get the manufacturing people to just just do it. You know, don't ask us any questions. Just just do it. Well, mm. they're going to do it, but maybe the, the full cost of production is going to be 30% or 50% higher than what it could be if some small changes were made uh, that actually would make it, you know, again, easier, faster, cheaper. To, to make the product mm. uh, and there's a lot of a lot of um, a lot of examples of that I mean probably the simplest example is that instead of trying to uh, custom develop something try to pick something that's already available commercial off the shelf 
uh, chances are if it's made in decent quality, decent quantity, sorry, by a relatively good manufacturer, you know, it's it, it's quality and its cost will already be lower, you know, much lower sometimes than what you would custom design and custom manufacture, right? This is just one example, but there's so many other examples, right? If you make this little change like this, then we can we can machine it that way and it's going to be twice as fast. But if you really want it to be that way, then yes, we need to do this and then load it to that other machine and blah, blah, blah. It's going to take a, long, a lot longer. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. all right. And there's so many, so many, so many examples of that, right? If you don't do uh, DFM at all, you might end up with, I don't know, like powder coating, aluminum color, and then you have 20% reject on certain types of services. You know, this is just an example. You you just make it much more likely to have certain types of defects, right? So design for manufacturing and assembly, definitely that will typically give you an excellent return on your investment. You know, so um, take a bit of time and put some attention and resources into it. It's worth a lot. Uh, right? it, it will give you uh, very good benefits. Mm. Another one that we mentioned multiple times on this podcast, and, and especially for uh, electromechanical products, is a good process for new product introduction for EVT, DVT, PVT, whatever you call it, industrialization. How to industrialize the product, right? So basically, you work on the design of your product. You design it for manufacturing. Okay, it's not enough. You need to actually spend some time to design and 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 validate the manufacturing process, the testing process, you know, in a very logical way with gates, you know, go no go gates. And so like systematically. And if you invest, a, okay, let's take two examples. A small startup coming out with a new product, no idea if it's going to work. This is going to be version one. So anyway, they're not going to make it into the millions. They already have some ideas for version two that they would make better, right? But they want to push version one into the market, get some feedback start to get their name out there, reassure the investors, everything like that. Are they going to have 20 people coming down to the manufacturing site, you know, spend uh, three, four, five, six months there, do a lot of work during, uh, you know, basically from the end of product design all the way to start of mass manufacturing. And then even after that, keep uh, fine tuning things and so on. No, of course not. It doesn't make Mm. any sense. They want to keep it simple, go fast, right? Now, there's a certain trade-off. You don't want them to go too fast because then, you know, they might really have serious quality and reliability issues. So they don't, you don't want to to skip too many steps, but you want to keep it relatively simple, right? Now, mm. on the other hand, you have companies like Apple and, and, and others, right? When they develop a new product, they have an army of people, right, working there, and they, re- they 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 make sure that the the project managers and all the team on the supplier side also is top notch and following their NPI process and filling out all the documents and everything, right? 
Same thing when you develop an automotive part that will go into a car that hopefully has a lifetime of three to five years and and will be made at a volume of whatever, 100 to 300,000 um, uh, cars per year. You know, Well, it, it pays to put more engineering resources at the beginning, right? To mm. get, again, the manufacturing process and the testing process to the level where you have really the assurance that the products will meet your quality standard, you know, will be quite consistent. Okay, so you have two extremes here and you, you need to figure out where you fit in there, right? But if you have relatively high quality requirements, you have to be honest with yourself. When you develop your products, you really need to ensure you're going to have a good NPI process. Right. Some of the keys, like for example, and and this is related, of course. You know, good tooling, good uh, fixtures, dies, tools, and also when you start with that, you go in direction in the direction of semi-automation, and then later, you know, more like full automation. That is some of the engineering work that I mentioned. Well, good tooling saves a lot of time, you know, even in looking at assembly. I mean, in our assembly lines, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of fixtures, a lot of uh, testing, um, testing stations and things like that. You ensure that the operator is going to place the part the right way into it. And then he keeps it in a certain way. And then the operation is much, much more accurate and much, much more repeatable. Right. If you don't do that, and people do it with their hands, well, it's a little bit freestyle, right? So you're going to have some variation. Mm. And uh, end of the day, people are a bit tired. The line leader is looking at some kind of problem somewhere or whatever. The variation is going to become such that maybe the customer will not be happy. So as much as possible, you need, um, yeah, you need fixtures and jigs and things like that. It helps a lot, both with quality and with, um, with usually with efficiency and cost also, right? Because people don't very often in these types of operations where the operator will, will like fumble a bit and it's a bit difficult to to fit in there and you know it's a bit of an art. Um, usually, it takes way too long and 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 there are there's a high rate of quality issues, and sometimes yeah just. A very simple fixture sometimes pop you know now it's three times faster and it's always good <laughs> mm. so this is really uh some some engineering like this that's really like uh, magical in terms of results right or mystic mm. proofing and you know, all, all of these kind of things right very very helpful absolutely um, another one it's kind of obvious but you know staff training you have the basic staff training so for example for the operators Okay, what kind of operation do I have to do? How, you know, oh, I'm going to take the part here and then like apply the adhesive this way, and I need to have a visual check that it doesn't go here. Okay, and then I, 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 I put the other one on top, and I, I again I press like this, and then I do a visual check like this. Okay, and then I pass it to the next station. Right, this is basic uh, training, and of course, this is something that they have to uh, internalize pretty fast, but. Uh, you know, and they should do it also on the pilot run first, uh, not 
right away in mass production. But this mm-hmm. is kind of basic. But the, the training that people should um, be trained to recognize certain types of defects. For example, they have a defect board, uh, or the, like a defect library, you know, just next to the line. And they get a, they have to have a quick look at it every day to keep it fresh in their minds. Well, when they see a certain kind of defect, maybe they, they put it in a red box right there by the, just by the assembly line. And somebody has to, um, you know, like a line leader or a quality engineer or somebody should see, oh, there's two of them already in the red box. What's going on? Right mm-hmm. away, we have to go, you know, it's kind of escalates on its own, you know, oh, okay, what, what is it? We, we need to start some kind of inquiry here, uh, investigation. Where, what is the point of cause? You know, can I see it? Um, how to make sure that it's it's just on two pieces, not more than that? Let me have a look, etc., etc., etc. Right? When you have this kind of um, automatic uh, reflex, that really helps. Right? Again, catch the issues early, go to the point of cause, uh, observe it, try to understand the root causes and, and things like that. That will help with uh with quality and cost right mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a number of other things maybe i should mention very quickly experience effects if you make the same kind of product thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands it makes sense to have a more comprehensive npi process but also when once it's in mass production it makes sense to have again a process engineering industry engineering and so on and also quality engineering uh, resources to work on it to look for um, ways to keep improving the process, right? And naturally, through experience effects, anyway, costs will tend to go down. But again, this is very, very variable uh, from production to production, the way it's set up. Okay, mm. so I could go on and on, but you know, these these are the, the the top ones that came to my mind basically. Yeah, to to have some leverage, right? There there are some levers. That you can pull, and it will impact both cost and quality. As a conclusion, maybe we should. I, I remember some discussions we had mm-hmm. uh, over the years with, you know, with Chinese suppliers, but also in some seminars with some buyers saying, "Oh, you know, how to, how to work with Chinese suppliers, how, how to get better quality but lower cost, you know, and should we like penalize them? Should we charge them back, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I remember. Uh, David Collins, who was the uh, director of consulting at uh, China Manufacturing Consultants, I remember one thing he said, and that, that kind of stuck in my mind, and it's so true. He said, look, you can't oppose cost and quality. Um, when you're the supplier, cost gets you the business, but quality allows you to keep the business, right? With With cost, you get the business in the first place, but then after that, you want the customers to keep coming back, mm. so um, so you need to to have consistent quality anyway. You need both, and these are both sides of the same coin, right? If you want to succeed in business, um, you're gonna have both. You you can't just say, oh, we're high quality, but we don't care about cost, or um, you know, we're low cost, but we don't care about quality. You know, there's certain markets where um, maybe uh, quality doesn't matter or Cost doesn't matter, <laughs> but in the end, you're gonna have pressure on both, and you need to work on both usually. 
wise words to consider for sure. I like it. So uh, good conclusion there, Renaud. That concludes today's podcast. And yeah, thanks for thanks for going through, you know, the cost versus quality question. It's a good one to think about. Mm, thanks. We'll be back next week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.